thank you, Jimmy. I really appreciate Jimmy willing. In fact, he volunteered, really, to help me out this morning. Um, not sure what's wrong with me, but uh, people have been trying to figure that out for about 30 years, so we <laughs> don't suppose we'll figure out anytime soon. But uh, trust the Lord will touch us and help us this morning. Feel a little lightheaded. I don't know if it's because I can't quite breathe right or just exactly what's going on. But if I fall over, Dean promised that he'd finish the message for me. So, <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would to Second Chronicles fourteen. Second Chronicles fourteen. We've been studying the kingship of Asa. King Asa, as he's, um, as he, uh, we, we started with his end, which he didn't end very well, did he? He, um, and then he lost his commitment because he rejected God's rule, he rejected God's representative, and he re- rejected God's remedy. And, uh, a caution, it's a warning for us, but we've uh, started last week, we tried to get us back on the positive, because Asa started so well, he started well, and uh, last week we talked about how uh, King Asa sought the Lord, and uh, that he was strong in the Lord, and uh, we're going to do our best to continue on how we can and like Asa, have a full commitment to the Lord, but all oh, that we would finish well. Oh, that we would finish well. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, Second Chronicles 14. Appreciate the good special. In fact, it almost, it's almost like uh, they took a peek at my notes. I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious if they did. Um, Maybe they just knew we were in the series and they had just figured out what I was going to say. I'm not sure. They're pretty smart. So, Isn't it good to have them home? It's, it's good to have Alex and Lorinda home. It's good. I think everyone's home now. I, don't, I think we've got all of our vacationers back. Now if we can just get all the sick people well, we can have church. <laughs> Second Chronicles 14, we're going to start in verse 2. And uh, we'll go down to 7, and then we'll skip over to chapter 15, um, 2 Chronicles 14, verse 2, And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And he took away the altars of the strange gods in the high places, and brake down the images, and cut down the groves, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. Also, he took away out of the, all of the cities of Judah, the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah, but the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore, he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought Him, and He hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa 
I'm sorry, let's go down to, let's go to chapter 15. Chapter 15, pick up our reading in verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you, while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel, and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation, and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. But ye strong, be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Obed the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the, all the land of Judah and Benjamin, out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven uh, thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant seeking the Lord of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman." Father, we need you this morning. We need you every time we step behind the sacred desk. And truly, we need you every moment of every day. And Lord, you know our limitations, you know our weaknesses, you know our frailty. And we put them into your hands, trusting that you'll help us. Lord, help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us, Lord, to seek you with all of our hearts and give you a full commitment. May we never rest until you have all of us. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. King Asa is unique in that he turns from the disobedience of his father and follows after the Lord. And I think that it says a lot about a man who makes a decision to go this way when that's not the way that his father showed him, not the way that perhaps was popular, and perhaps in a lot of ways wasn't easy. It takes a full commitment when you go against the grain of your family, go against the grain of your culture, when you go against what all of your uh, advisors and all the people that you care about, the direction that they would want you to go, sometimes it can be really, really hard. I remember when I was a young person and uh, 
I was 16. God had just given me my call to preach. And uh, I, I remember the resistance that I experienced in my family. And uh, I was getting phone calls for scholarships and so forth. And, and I remember I was asked, are you sure you know what you're doing? You'll never make any money in the ministry. As if that's the only thing that we have to live for. But people that don't know the Lord don't understand. They can't comprehend what it means to have a full commitment to God. Asa, we, we talked about, he sought the Lord and he was satisfied of the Lord. But if we're going to have a commitment, a true commitment, we're going to have to serve the Lord. We're going to have to serve the Lord. You know, we can seek the Lord, and a lot of people seek the Lord, but they want to seek God on their own terms. They want God to bless, and they want God to give, but they don't really want to have to give up anything of, their, of themselves. We, we all are going to heaven. Isn't that what they tell us? Have you been to a funeral lately? It is, it is something to go to a funeral with someone that you know has no, no, uh, no Christian life at all, no fruits. And you sit there in the funeral and, and, and invariably anybody who gets up to t- say anything talks about how that person's in heaven and you say, well, I'll just get to go on in. There's some that even teach that every single one from Judas to Hitler are going to heaven. In fact, some of them even teach that even Satan is going to get to heaven, that God's going to redeem every one of his creation. Isn't that interesting? I'm not sure where they find that in Scripture. But for Asa... Asa, he wasn't satisfied to just seek the Lord. He then began to serve the Lord. You know, if he had studied his history, and I I don't know if he did or if he didn't, Jewish people typically were very interested in history. They kept their genealogies. Those things were important. He no doubt read the history of King Saul was willing to make the sacrifices, but he wasn't willing to quit his sinning. And even as he's receiving the judgment of the Lord from the mouth of the prophet Samuel, he says, honor me now before the people. Even though God had rejected him, even though God had, had said, you're not going to be king, you're, you're lying, this is the end of the line for, for you as, as, as king, and, and, you're, and none of your descendants will be king after you, you are not, this is the end. His, his plea was, give me a public honoring, honor me now before the people. Oh that, oh, that we would move beyond that to where we stop just going through the motions of sacrifice and seeking the Lord, but that we actually begin the process of serving the Lord. 
King Asa had to make some serious, serious decisions. We read through it, and it, it isn't anything to us to read through it. We don't, we don't understand the ramifications of this, but he begins to go through the, the land and begins to destroy every idol. He begins to tear down the groves, and, and uh, this is one of those complicated places. In uh, the Chronicles, writer says he tore down the high places, and uh, the writer of the Kings says that he didn't tear down the high places. My guess is he tore down some, but didn't get all of them done. But he's beginning the process, and he gets serious about it. He gets so serious about it that anybody who's not willing to serve the Lord, no matter if it's a man or a woman, no matter if they're small or great, doesn't matter your social status, you will be put to death if you don't serve God. I don't recommend that as policy. If you ever have hopes of becoming president, I would recommend you don't run on that platform. <laughs> Things were very different in the Old Testament than the New Testament. But in those days, those who ruled determined the religion and the faith of the people. And it's been that way just about as long as there have been kings and queens. And still, uh, I, even in England, so much with, with uh, Protestantism rising up uh, against Catholicism. And if you remember, Henry VIII brought in Protestantism. But then his daughter, Mary, she didn't want Protestantism. She wanted Catholicism back, and she became Bloody Mary as she brought such great persecution. And of course... We're not happy with that. But kings and queens could do that kind of thing. They could choose. You either followed what I believe or you die. I think that would have to be really hard on a commoner, don't you? Today you're Protestant, tomorrow you're Catholic. <laughs> But what this is showing us is that Asa was serious about just taking from the country all, all of the idols. He wanted to make sure that nowhere within the land was there those that were hanging on to the old ways. And you know that all of us are called within the kingdoms of our heart and the kingdom of our home, the spheres of our influence, to drive out the idols and the things that would keep us from serving the Lord. In fact, I really think that, that it's helpful to think of idols as anything that has the potential of taking the place of God in our life. That wrestles with God for our affection, for our time, for our devotion. And we can go through the list. Some have made an idol of their jobs. Some have made an idol of their hobbies. Some have made an idol of their family members. And, and we can just go on, their vehicles, and, and so on and so forth. But you know, it, it, I, I really don't think that's, 
that we have to go through a long laundry list of what your potential idols are, I think what's important is for us to ask ourselves, Lord, is there anything in my life that if you put your finger on it, that I'm going to have a hard time saying, yes, Lord. Is there anything in my life that if you said, I want you to give this to me, I want you to give it up, I don't want you to do it anymore. That it becomes difficult, maybe impossible. God did that, just that very thing to Abraham, didn't he? I don't know what it was like for Abraham to take his boy up Moriah's hill. I have no I, I can't imagine that. I don't know why God had Abraham do that. I don't know if perhaps maybe Abraham was doting on Isaac just a little too much. Or maybe because Abraham had been an idol worshiper in his youth, if perhaps Abraham just needed to know that. Isaac had not become his idol. I don't know the reasons behind it. And I'm sure that there are some that would say, well, God did that to foreshadow Christ. And, and uh, certainly he does in so many ways. But, but I believe it was more than that. I believe that there was something that needed to be known in the heart of Abraham that God came first. That God came first. I have a suspicion. I don't know that I can prove this biblically. I don't know that I, can, uh, that I can even prove it theologically. But I offer it for your consideration. You can reject it if you want to. But I have a suspicion that even for those that are sanctified, there is a danger of idols rising up. I just have this suspicion that, that there's not a work of grace that can keep us from having to stomp down idols in our lives. I say that because, one, we live in two worlds, a spiritual world and a physical world. And so oftentimes, we get caught up in the physical one because it's the one we see, it's the one that we interact with, it's the one that we most readily recognize our needs. We need food. We need friendship and companionship. We need, we need to uh, ha be warm. We need to have shelter. And, and, and we have all these things that we need. This week, someone was saying that we should never say that we're too busy, that there's no such thing. It's just an excuse. We always have time for for what we prioritize. And you know, they're right. They're right that, that we always have time for the things that we prioritize. The problem is, is we're really bad at prioritizing what's important. We're really bad at prioritizing relationships. We're very poor at, at prioritizing uh, time of relaxing and, and refueling. 
We're very poor at, at prioritizing, uh, uh, recharging uh, in, uh, in the presence of Jehovah. The problem is, isn't that we are too busy, it's that we're too busy with the wrong things. And in American culture, we don't value people like we ought to. And my response to them is that sometimes when I say too busy, what I really mean is, I'm sorry, but that thing that you're asking me to do doesn't fit on my list of priorities. There are times that I... Excuse me. There are times that I schedule with my family on my calendar. I prioritize it. It's on the calendar. And if someone says, hey, can you do such and such? I'm sorry, this is, that slot's full. Now, I'm, if there's a death or there's an emergency, you know, emergencies take place over, over calendars, don't they? But there are times that we just have to make the things that are important, important, and the things that are not important, not important. But we're not good at that. We're not good at that. And what's so easy to happen is that the idols that spring up, the things that are easy for us to love, that just kind of come up out of the ground like a weed. And if we don't pull them out quickly, soon they start taking all over the place. It's amazing how easy it is for a weed to grow up and for us not to notice. I think idols can sometimes be like dandelions. You see one in the springtime and you go, oh boy. You pluck it quick before, before it gets turning white and blowing its seeds all over the place. But somebody somewhere didn't, didn't take care of their dandelion because those seeds somehow make it into your yard. And pretty soon you see yellow everywhere. I think that's exactly how idols work in our lives. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, begin to just take over our hearts. It's not a bad idea before we go to pray, Lord, was there anything today that I prioritized over you? Lord, was there anything today that, that had my eye, that kept me from keeping my eyes on you? There's so much, isn't there? There's so many things that attract our attention. They tell me that hundreds of years ago, 
and I may say his name wrong, and you, forgive me if I do, but the great conqueror Mahmud, I believe his name was, he conquered India. And as he was conquering city after city, he was destroying each city's idols. And as he finally got to this one city, they had a giant idol. And as he went into the temple to destroy it, the priests of that idol prostrated themselves in front of him and begged and pled with him to not destroy their precious idol. They said the fortunes of the city rest on this idol. I have a hard time understanding that they just got conquered. Their idol didn't work. But... Never mind that fact for a moment. The fortunes of the city rest on this idol. And they offered him all the wealth of the city. They offered gold and pearls and jewels and offered him great wealth, pleading with him not to destroy the idol. He paused for a moment. And he said, I'd rather be known as the breaker of idols than the seller of idols. And with that, he took his axe and he struck the idol. And behind uh, his men gathered and began hacking at the idol. And it broke. And they found it was hollow. And over these centuries, as that idol had stood there, they had taken the offerings, the jewels and the gold and the diamonds and had placed it inside of that idol as an offering. And inside of that idol came pouring out riches that were so much greater than what was offered. In fact, as the story is told, it was a hundred times what was offered to him originally not to destroy the idol. I want to tell you this morning, I know it can be hard to destroy the idols of our hearts because they are our affection and we can love them and we can care about those things. But there's nothing more important than destroying that idol. And I can assure you that the blessings of God are a hundred times greater than anything that idol offers you. Asa didn't just seek the Lord, but he served the Lord. May God help us to destroy the idols of our hearts and destroy the idols that would crop up in our homes for our families, especially men I'm talking to us as head of the home. It's a great responsibility to make sure the idols of, that can crop up in our homes are taken down. The forms of entertainment that our children gravitate to. We've got to help them to understand that God comes before entertainment. He comes before those tablets and those movies and whatever else it is that is trying to set a hook in the heart of our kids to pull them away. I've come to understand that my wife has a keener eye to those things than I do. She just does. I don't know why it is. 
but she has a keen eye. There's been many a time she says to me, Jeremy, I think you need to have a talk with so-and-so. This son, this daughter. And I'll say, what's going on? And she'll say, I'm not sure. I can't put my finger on it, but I think this is going, I think something, this is going on. I, I, I can't tell you altogether why, but I have concern here. And invariably, I have the conversation, and she is right. And I've just learned to trust that something about a mother's heart and a mother's eye, they see better than 2020, gentlemen. At least mine does. And I've come to listen and come to, to just respond quickly. And Trisha says to me, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I think there's something wrong here. Asa had responsibility of the entire land, and he began to take out the idols that could draw not just his heart away, but draw the hearts of those that he was responsible for. And a lot of times we talk about uh, the role of men and women, and, and others uh, uh, have things to say about how we talk about women being in subjection to the husband and the man being the head of the house. But I'll tell you, it's not about sitting around and doing nothing, men. It's about taking responsibility for the spiritual well-being of every single soul in our at home. It's a great responsibility. It's a great responsibility. It's a hard job to squash carefully. We don't want to create resentment. Remember, that child loves that idol, just like you love your idols. We better be careful when we do it. It better not come down to a battle of wills because you'll lose if it's something they've got their heart set on and they love. You better be careful. You better be wise. Oh, that God would give us great wisdom as we deal with the idols within the sphere of our influence. Asa didn't just seek the Lord, but he served the Lord. If we're going to have revival, folks, we're going to have to make sure the idols are torn down. If we're... It, I appreciate what Jimmy's been saying to us about revival starts in, in his heart, it just, and it does. It starts not in just Jimmy's heart, but it starts in each one of our hearts. We've got to take that same responsibility. And if there's idols that are in the way, things that are drawing us away from, from prayer and fasting and, and Bible study, and just being in the presence of God, if there's things we'd rather do than be with the Lord, it's an idol. It's an idol. Oh, that God would help us this morning. Not allow any idols to keep us from serving God. But not only did he serve the Lord, but he was satisfied by the Lord. 
You know, we say, it's one of our Christian cliches, the world doesn't satisfy. You've heard that probably more times than you can count. But you know, even the world agrees. They know the world just doesn't satisfy. How many, how many of, of those that have everything that the world has to offer just cannot find satisfaction? How many times do you hear the famous, everybody wants to be wealthy and famous, but the famous complain about the paparazzi and complain about not having privacy and how they have to go undercover to be able to go out into public? And the wealthy, how many just can't get satisfied? J.D. Rockefeller, richest man of his day, was asked, how much money is enough? They said, one more dollar. One more dollar. And never be satisfied. Always needing just one more. One more than he has. How many times do we read of of uh, athletes, top of their top of the, their uh, physical prime, those that have become professionals, making millions of dollars, and how often do we read about them getting in trouble with the law? Just this week, I saw on the news that a football player refused to pay his cab fare and ended up getting into a physical fight. I believe punched a police officer in the process. Had to be tasered. An NFL athlete with the wealth that he has, I don't know how much money he makes, I didn't look up his contract, but he didn't want to pay his cab fare. He just wasn't satisfied with the things that he has. He had to have more. When I was studying counseling, they, they told us that most of the drunks that you'll meet don't ever get to have fun anymore getting drunk. That You ask them, when's the last time you've enjoyed drinking and they can't remember? They build up such a tolerance that they have to drink the alcohol to feel normal. They never get to feel good anymore. When I had my surgery, my roommate was a man who had become addicted to opioids. And unfortunately for him, he, he uh, contracted some kind of uh, a disease in his spine. Some kind of, uh, I don't remember if it was a bacterial or, or viral, but some kind of, of disease in his spine, and he was going to spend a month in the hospital. It was, I, I felt bad for him. I spent one day, and the food was so terrible, I was glad to get out of there. But because of his opioid addiction, the morphine didn't help. And he was in horrible pain. And I remember as, as the nurse was going in and she had to, she had to do something and it was going to be painful, he was pleading for more morphine. And she said, I've given you the maximum I can give you. I'm not allowed to give a person any more than what I've given you. Your choices to use the opioids have cost you this pain. And you didn't have any visitors. 
His family didn't come and see him. His children didn't come see him. His parents didn't come see him. He had wrecked all of his relationships because of his addiction. And the nurses no longer had any sympathy for him. They thought he was getting his just desserts. And as I lay in my bed, thankful that the pain medications were helping me, I thought, what a sad, sad road that he is down. That he has become so addicted to those, to the pain medications, to the opioids, that all he knows is pain and no one cares about him. No one cares about him. Because he had made made those decisions to burn those relationships. The world doesn't satisfy. The world just doesn't satisfy. Everything that the world promises, it falls short even when it delivers. When's the last time we've heard a celebrity who's committed suicide? It's not that very long ago. It happens all the time. People that, it shocks people, musicians and, and comedians and actors, and it, it touches them over and over and over again. The world just doesn't satisfy. But how long has it been since you've heard somebody who is serving the Lord and, do, and doing all they can to serve God? When's the last time you've heard of them committing suicide? I'm not saying that, that we don't struggle with, with uh, mental uh, battles and, and, and some even having suicidal thoughts. And yes, I do know stories of those that we're doing their, trying to serve God who have committed suicide for many reasons. But it's nowhere near as common as the celebrities. And there are more Christians than celebrities. Why is it? Because Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies. What did Asa say? Asa said, God's given us rest. In those days, there was war all the time. Everybody was fighting war. In fact, Asa's father served as king for three years, and that was it. Three years was all he got to serve as king before God slew him. But even in his three-year reign, he was at least involved in one war with Israel up to, uh, to the north. There was war all the time. God was sending great vexations. And Israel, poor Judah had enemies all around them. All around them, there were enemies. And yet, God gave them rest. And in the midst of that, Asa said, let's, let's use this time to build up the land. Let's use this time, this time of being satisfied. Let's continue to grow 
And do you know what happened? Not only did they build cities and walls and, and towers and, and all of these things, that, uh, but God began to bless them with, with the uh, people coming from Israel who wanted to be where God was, coming down. And they not only grew by having more cities, but more people started coming in, wanting to be in the presence of Almighty God. You know, the world can mock us, and they can say they, they don't understand us, and, they, and, and, and all those things. But folks, one thing they cannot argue with is when we say, Jesus satisfies my soul. We went to school with a young lady who, in Bible school, that she made the decision after her freshman year that she wanted to leave Bible school and start dating a man who was still married. The divorce hadn't gone through yet. She, of course, threw away all of her standards immediately, and she came back the, the next year for a visit. And, of course, the other students were trying to talk to her, and she says, I've never been happier in my life. She stayed with that man. I think they were together 15 or 16 years. Had children together, but he never would marry her. She never got to enjoy a wedding. She never got to have a, that special day. And a year or two ago, the relationships ended. And now she's a single mother and never, ever fulfilled the potential that God had for her. She's not happier than she's ever been before now. Young people, sin does bring pleasure for a season. It does. I'm not going to lie to you. The Bible doesn't lie to you. The sin of today brings pleasure for the moment, but there comes a time when the way of the transgressor is hard. And the pleasure of today seems worth it. And if you could live in that moment forever, you'd probably be happy and okay. But the problem is, is that sin always carries with it a consequence that must be paid eventually. It must be paid. Thankfully, our Savior is willing to pay that debt for us. That is not to say that he pays all of that debt. Sometimes there are consequences still to the, to the choices we've made. But I'm thankful that he paid the ultimate debt that we couldn't pay. But every sin will bring with it a consequence in our life. The pleasure of the moment is not worth the consequence of tomorrow. And we can stand up here and tell you story after story after story where this is true. It, it gets, as preachers, it, 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 sometimes it just is overwhelming for us. Because sometimes it feels like, like we're trying to scare you into something and we're not. It's just over and over. We just see it and it just breaks our hearts. And if we can spare you that, we want to spare you it. The, the consequence is so much greater than the pleasure of the moment. 
King Asa allowed the Lord to satisfy him. He didn't need to go start wars with his neighbors to get more land. He didn't need to go and and plunder. He didn't need to do any of those things. He just allowed the Lord to continue to bless him. They built up their cities and people began to pour in who wanted to be in the presence of Almighty God. And folks, I, I do believe in outreach. I do believe in calling and, 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 and trying to get people to come in. But I truly believe the secret to people coming into the church and people getting saved is that there being something that satisfies the soul and there's a hunger that the world has for something like that. They eat and they're hungry again. They drink and they're thirsty again. And yet we come to the fountain that never once runs dry, puts within us living water so that we need never thirst again. We eat the bread of life and we are full. Jesus satisfies this morning. May God help us this morning to recognize that if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to have revival as a church, if we're going to be all that God wants us to be, we're going to have to allow Him to be our satisfaction. And if there's things of this world that are pulling you away, if there's affections of this world that are pulling you away, you need to go on into holiness. You really need to move on into holiness. I appreciated that song this, this morning. There's nothing good left back there. You know, I think a lot about Lot's wife as she's leaving Sodom. And you know, she left behind some precious things. She left her daughters and her grandchildren back there. I don't know why she turned around. I can't tell you that. I don't know if it was her daughters. I doubt it was her son-in-laws. But it might have been a grandchild or more. And you know, I think if all of us are honest, it'd be awful tempting to look back if we had a child or a grandchild back there. The difficulty with Lot's wife wasn't that she loved her children. The difficulty for her was is that she loved those things more than she loved God and she couldn't be obedient to his voice because of her love of what she left behind. And there's some really there can be some really tempting things that are left behind, but every parent, every grandparent has got to put their children and grandchildren on the altar and allow God to have them. Jesus said for us to remember Lot's wife.
I have a lot of sympathy for her. I really do. I can't imagine what she was going through emotionally in that moment. But folks, we've got to put God first. Before our jobs, before our homes, before our things, before our family. And until God has first place, and no close seconds. I've heard so many say, this is a close second. No, you can't have a close second. It's got to be a distant second. It's got to be two, three laps behind. The score has got to be run up so high that there's no hope of it ever catching up. Whatever illustration you need for that. But you've got to love God more than number two so much. There's no hope that number two would ever catch up to the Lord. May God help us to serve the Lord and to be satisfied by Him. Let's stand together. Thank you for you putting up with me trying to catch my breath up here. <laughs> Brother Bob, would you dismiss us this morning?